Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Did these guys do a great job? Can y'all give them a hand? Yeah. This happens every Wednesday night, so if your student is looking for a place to plug in, that is middle school and high school students. Uh, they have their own worship time actually right in here uh, on Wednesday nights at 6.30, and so, but not this Wednesday night at 6.30. This coming Wednesday night at 6.30, I'm going to be in here eating some Chick-fil-A, so uh, we're going to put them out back. Uh, but on the all, all the other Wednesday nights, they're in here at 6.30, uh, and they have their own worship service. And they have a great time. And so I just encourage you to get your students here, invite your neighbor's kids, uh, preferably with your neighbor's permission to invite your kid, their, their kids to come and be with us on Wednesday nights. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of John. John chapter 8 is where we're headed this morning. Now, a few days ago, uh, sadly, we lost um, a celebrity, uh, Lisa Marie Presley, uh, passed away. And uh, maybe, how many of you guys heard about that? You heard about that? And, um, you know, I understand that she is uh, being buried at Graceland. How many anybody ever been to Graceland? Anybody been to Graceland? I've never been to Graceland. I love the name, though. I love the name Graceland. I always told Rain, I, I, I thought if we had girls, I was going to name one of them Grace. But alas, we have boys. And so there's something other than Grace. <laughs> I love them. I love them. But Grace just doesn't fit when you're talking about those those boys. Uh, no, they're 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 good. Um, but we're we're going to look at uh, the idea of grace this morning, and I just I just I think about that, and I, I thought about Graceland. If you think about usually places that the name ends in the word land, um, tend to be fake. Disneyland, you know, Frontierland. Adventure, land, you know, all those places. They're fun, right? But they have a very pretty uh, uh, facade that is painted, and then behind it you've got, like, scaffolding and, you know, animatronics and all kinds of stuff behind it, so it tends to be somewhat fake, right? So all your fantasy land uh, is something other than a fantasy, really. And so when you think about these these places, they, they tend to have this air of fakeness about them. Um, but when I think about this term, Graceland, I think about Graceland, how cool would it be if there was a, an actual Graceland, other than just like Elvis's home place? But there's a place that you could go and you could get grace, right? How, how cool would that be? Because how many of you know that in our world today, we lack grace? How many of you, you you've lived long enough and you've been in, in this world long enough to see that our world would be better if we had more grace in it? Amen? I mean, if you're on social media, there's not a lot of grace on social media, right? I mean, uh, people get cut off, people get canceled, people, you know, it's just there's not a lot of coming back from if you've messed up from something. Anybody, you've ever messed up? Okay. But you, you would say, yeah, but, you know, maybe raise their hand. I was like, why am I going to raise my hand on that one, you know? Yeah, obviously, Pastor, we've all messed up, but I'm not going to raise my hand. So we've all done something. We've all messed up. We've all needed that second chance. If you've ever needed that second chance, it's kind of what this is about today. And I want us to go to the book of John, John chapter 8. Now, we have been uh, in this series called First Things First, and we're going to finish it up today. Uh, and we have started every service and every message with this statement that the first will set the pattern for the rest. The first sets the pattern for the rest. So 
you know, when you see in Scripture something that happens for the first time, that is usually the pattern for what needs to come after it. And um, we have looked at first worship. The first time we see worship in Scripture and what that looks like, we've looked at uh, the first actual time. We say first time for what? First time for time. We looked at that. We looked at God creating time and what that looks like and the order as God has, has created things in. We've looked at kingdom first, that God's, uh, Jesus, or, um, Jesus said, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We looked at that. And last week we talked about first love, uh, that Jesus is our first love and what that looks like. And so today we're going to finish up. Finishing up with uh, this message is, is just called First Stone, First Step. And um, I want us to go to John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, let's read that real quick. Uh, start in verse 2. And you probably know this story. Some of you do. If not, listen up close. It says, early in the morning, he, who is he? Jesus is he, is the he. Early in the morning, he came to, again to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and taught them. He, he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, everybody say that with me. Who? All right, those are the religious people, all right? Those are the people who are kind of the gatekeepers of life with God, right? Uh, those are the people who are really spiritual. Those are the people who are supposed to uh, be the ones working in the church. Those are, would be uh, the more conservative of, of the sects and the groups that uh, are, are, you know, that you see in that time with the Essenes, um, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. And so the, the Pharisees would be a more conservative group. And uh, they're kind of the gatekeepers of, of this life with God. And, um, and so we, we see them here. It says that the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But they, they heard it, and when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And so I want us to look at this, this story because I believe that if Graceland more than just being Elvis Presley's home, Graceland were a true place, we would see it in the life of Jesus. And I think that we get glimpses of it here in the New Testament in the life of Jesus, is that this is what Graceland really can look like. If people begin to reflect Jesus in a true way, uh, you would begin to see this land turn into more of a Graceland. And so we look at the story, and you've got to think that when these leaders were looking for a reason to take Jesus down, they were trying to figure out how they could do it. And probably, I mean, this lady, this whole story, it really wasn't about the lady at all. These guys wanted to take Jesus out. And they just used her and manipulated 
the situation with her to try to get at Jesus. And people will do that. People will try to manipulate situations all the time. But this woman is thrust into the middle of the story. And let's just be honest. I mean, she's, she's doing things that she doesn't need to be doing. She's, she is living, living in adultery. She is committing adultery. Uh, and the way that it's written uh, in the original text leads us to believe that she was married. Not only was she having an affair with a married man, but she was married as well. And so the law of Moses uh, would prescribe that both the man and the woman would be brought and if witnesses uh, could attest to it that they had done this thing, that they were to be stoned. And so that was what these guys were doing. They were basically coming and they threw this woman down. They said, she's guilty of adultery. She deserves to be stoned. Guess who they didn't bring? Real convenient, isn't it? It's convenient that they would take the woman but not bring the man. Why? I don't know why. All I know is this, is that they kind of showing their, their, their cards there kind of showing their hand, and Jesus is seeing right through it. He knows this is not about this woman, that they're actually using her to try to get to Jesus or get at Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus uh, begins to engage them. And the thing about this story is he, he doesn't shy away from calling sin, sin. And, and sin is fun for a while. Come on, somebody, anybody, sin is fun for a while. Yeah, yeah, this said it a little too, y'all a little too hasty over here. Oh, yeah, that sin is fun. I don't know what y'all doing, but, you know, we praying for this side over here. No, but sin, it is, right? I mean, sin is fun. Sin is fun for a season. Um, and and if it wasn't, none of us would, would get caught up in it. None of us would, would get caught up in sin. But sin does something. Sin promises happiness, but it always produces regret. Sin promises you happiness, but it always produces regret. Even if it's fun for a little while, sooner or later the fun's going to run, run out. Sooner or later you're going to be on the other side of the fun, and then you're going to be left holding just a bag of regrets. And I see it happen all the time. I have people that come into my office, and they tell me their story, and they tell me how they've gotten into things, and they never intended to get to where they were. They never intended for things to devolve and fall apart in their families and in their marriages and in their life and in their parenting like it does. But they tell me these stories and they wind up in these places, and it's, and it's just it's painful to hear. It's tragic. And I can, I can only imagine what this woman was going through her head. Can you imagine what she must have been feeling like? Can you imagine what it was like for this woman, even though, yes, she was guilty of the sin, that these men came and grabbed her and made a mockery of her and made it even worse because they come and they threw her down. And I'm sure while she was, she was there in the middle of this crowd, she's probably scared, ashamed, and she's probably thinking, how did I get here? How in the world did I get here? How did my life get so out of control? Anybody you ever been there? You ever been there where you just thought, maybe you didn't do this. Maybe this was not your sin, but there was something else. Something else that, that you've gotten wrapped up in, and you're just like, how did I get here? How did I walk so far away? You know, maybe she never intended to be in this relationship in the first place. Maybe it just started with a conversation. Maybe it started with a smile. May, I don't know how it started, but, but however it started, she wound up in a place that she really didn't want to be when all the fun was over. And so she's here, and, and they've got her here, and they're accusing her. And, you know, just because we know 
the right decision doesn't mean we're going to make the right decision. Just because you know to do something doesn't mean you're going to actually do it. Because we know better does not equal do better, right? And we, how many of you know this? Yeah, yeah, you know this. Yes, you know there's plenty of things that you know you need to do or not do, but yet you either don't do it or you keep doing it, right? We, we have people tell us all the time, you don't, you know, you've got to be careful what you eat, but some of us, we're not careful, right? You can look at me and tell, I'm not careful. Knowing better does not equal doing better. We always say this, parents, and we, how many of you said this? Said, you should know better to your kids. You should know better. I've said that. You've had your parents tell you that. That's why we tell our kids that. You know what's going to happen? Our kids are going to tell their kids that. You should know better. We're all going to wind up saying that at some point. You should know better. But just because we know better doesn't mean that we're going to do better. Because we do things like, I really shouldn't eat this, but. Or, I shouldn't be texting him, but. Or, I shouldn't be telling her this, but. Or I intended to do this, but this happened. You know, and we wind up in places that we never intended. The things that we intended to do, we don't follow through with them. There's a pastor in Minnesota. His name is uh, Pastor Rob Ketterling, and this is what he said. He said, good intentions left undone are just random thoughts. You know, how I many of you are guilty of random thoughts? I have. I intended to, but I didn't follow through with it. Or I intended to quit but I didn't, or I intended to start, but I didn't. And so all these intentions may seem good, but if we don't follow through with them, they're just random thoughts. See, Jesus actually engaged this crowd, and when they came and they said, Jesus, the law says this. Jesus was like, yeah, you're right. This is what the law says. This is what the law says, and go ahead and throw that stone. You can go ahead and throw that stone if, if you've never committed this sin. You know what? Probably a lot of them would have held that rock a little bit tighter and just got it and said, I've never done that, Jesus. I have never done that. But the way he said this and the way it's written in the original language, not only was he saying, if you've never committed this sin, but if you've never even had this desire. He said, because if you've had this desire, you're not qualified to pass judgment on this woman. If you've ever had this desire, you're not qualified to throw a stone at her. And so you who are without sin, go ahead and throw the stone. You who are without sin, go ahead and throw that stone. Sure, go ahead. But what they found was this. The only one qualified to exact judgment on this woman was the only one willing to extend mercy to her. The only one qualified to exact judgment on this lady was the only one willing to extend mercy and he called the rest of them out on it. He called the rest of them out. And he began to write in the sand. And, you know, we always wonder. We don't know what he was writing in the sand. What was he writing in the sand? I've heard all kinds of theories. I've heard people say he was writing the names of the women that they had slept with, right? That'd be kind of crazy, right? Or he was writing out their sins. Or, you know, what? I don't know what he was writing. Whatever he was writing and whatever happened in that moment, it was enough to get them to realize, I'm not qualified to throw this stone. I'm not qualified to exact judgment on this woman. And it says that they begin from the older to the younger. The older ones, you know, I, and it kind of hit me this morning, the older I get, those things, you know, we know better. <laughs> right? Come on. 
the older you are, the more you should know. That doesn't mean you always do, but the older you are, the more you should know. And so the older ones began to drop those stones. It was like the young ones, they had to, those young whippersnappers, they had to hold on to that stone just a little bit longer, right? Until all the old guys were gone and they were like, uh, I probably need to drop my stone too because I'm not qualified for this. And they dropped their stones. They dropped their judgments because they realized they weren't qualified to exact a judgment on this woman. The only one qualified to exact judgment was the only one willing to extend mercy. See, Jesus doesn't throw stones. Jesus leads with mercy. And we think that this is a New Testament thing. We think that, well, we love Jesus, and you talk about Jesus, and people love Jesus. Even people that don't like church, they like Jesus because Jesus leads with mercy. But they have this kind of this schizophrenic relationship with God because they'll say, we love Jesus, but God in the Old Testament seems angry and mad, and he seems like he's just, you know, he's ready to kill people. See, the same God that's in the Old Testament is the same one that we see in the life of Jesus. The same God in the Old Testament is who we see in Jesus. Jesus is the clearest picture, the most specific picture of the God that we see in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament God is not angry and mean. The Old Testament God is gracious and merciful, and he's told us this. And we have evidence of that. If you go to Exodus chapter 32, there's an entire story of after uh, God has led his people out of Egypt, right? That's a big deal. How many of you, if you're a slave in Egypt and someone brings you out and sets you free and gives you a new lease on life, how many many of you think you should be indebted to them, right? Whatever they say, man, I'm with you all the way. You get to Exodus 32 and this group of people whom God has pulled out of Egypt and given a new lease on life. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses goes up on a mountain to talk to God. He's up there for a while. These people, they, they start getting kind of fickle. They're like, we don't even know if Moses is coming back down. He's been up there a long time. What if he's ever coming down? We should probably just go on and do this thing ourselves. And so what do they do? They created a golden calf. They created a God of what they used to know in Egypt. They said, let's just go back to what we used to know. And that's what God is exactly trying to pull them from is what they used to know. And they keep reverting back to old ways. And so in Exodus chapter 32, they go back to this thing. They, they take and make a golden calf and begin to worship it. And God says, Moses, you better go down and get your boys. Because <laughs> it's about to get bad for them, right? But what we find is this. In Exodus 34, just two chapters later. Now, if I've been writing the Bible, Exodus 34 would look a lot different. Exodus 34 would have a bunch of greasy spots on the ground because I'd be throwing lightning bolts left and right, just taking folks out. Like, I bring you out of Egypt, and y'all turn your back on me, right? Because that's how we are. I mean, if you were writing the Bible, that's how it looked, too. So, good thing we don't write the Bible. But in Exodus 34, we find where God basically introduces himself in a very specific way. Exodus 34 and 6. Can you put that up there for me, Canon? Exodus 34 and 6. This is what it says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. A God, what? Merciful and gracious. Do you see what he led with? I mean, this is two chapters after they have just built the golden calf and they've worshipped this false God. The true God looks at him and says, I am the Lord, your God, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, not just love, 
This is a, an immense kind of love. This is the word said. This is steadfast love. It is loyal love. It is long-lasting love. It is faithful love. Even if you're not faithful, I'm faithful. That's what kind of love this is. Abounding, not just a little bit, but it says abounding, overflowing. I want you to think about you pour, pour water into a cup, and you just keep pouring, and it's just overflowing. That's, what, that's the picture there. Abounding in said, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. The reason they say those three words, iniquity, transgression, and sin, that covers all the ways that we sin. That covers the sins I commit against you. That covers the sins I commit against God. That covers the sins that I commit against even my own self. It covers all the sins. It covers all the dimensions. And so what does he say? I'm keeping steadfast love for thousands. I'm forgiving all the ways that you can sin. Forgiving all the dimensions of sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You say, well, that sounds kind of, kind of bad there at the end, Pastor. I don't like how that ended. He, he had me there at the beginning, but he lost me at the end. That, that God at the end, see, that's where God is a just God. And he says, I'm going to deal with sin. I'm going to deal with sin but I'm going to lead with mercy. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled right here. He's like, he told the lady, he said, go leave your life of sin, but I am leading here with mercy. Who is here to condemn you? And she said, no one. She said, he said, neither do I. I'm not here to condemn you. See, that's, that's the great thing about God is, is his plan is not just to bring, not to bring condemnation on us. Once again, I'll say this. It's not just to make you feel guilty. Sometimes we come to church and it's like we major in guilt. That is not the goal, is to major in guilt in church. The goal is for us to trust Jesus with our life so that we can trust Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day. And we see that life of him begin to flourish in us. And we begin to look more and more like Christ every day. That's the goal. That's the goal. And that was the goal for this lady because Jesus didn't look at her and look at her and say, you're trash. Actually, everybody around her, that's what they thought. They were looking at her because they were just there to use her for some other goal. And they used her as trash. They used her as a pawn. They used her as a chess piece. They used her, and people will do that. People will use you. People, we've done that. I'm sure probably you've used somebody before too. Because we're not graceful people. But when Jesus looked at her, he looked, he said, you're not trash. I created you. I shaped you, and I formed you. When I shaped you and I formed you, I put potential in you. And I'm calling that potential out of you now. And so what he does is he doesn't look at her as trash and he says, I don't condemn you. I'm not here to tell you how bad you are. I'm actually here to tell you that there's more to life. And he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. The only one qualified to exact judgment on this woman was the only one who was willing to extend mercy. See, Jesus will always, always, always be the first one to give you a second chance. Jesus will always be the first one to give you. Anybody, you need a second chance? How many of you are way past second chances? The statement still applies. Fill in the blank. Whatever your third, fourth, wherever you're at in this chance, Jesus is always the first one to step in and says, I am willing to forgive you because I am the God who is faithful and steadfast love. I am faithful when you're not. I am faithful when you walk out. I don't walk out on you. 
I stand strong and I'm here and I offer you forgiveness. Jesus will always be the first one to give you a second chance. Who is here to accuse you? Nobody. And Jesus said, I'm not here to accuse you. And he says, go leave your life of sin. And that's important, guys. That's important. Uh, we can come to church and think, you know what? God loves me so much and he doesn't care about my sin. Oh, God loves you so much, but he cares about sin. Jesus cared so much about sin that he went to the cross and allowed people to put him on a cross, drive nails through his hands, take a crown of thorns and shove it down on his head, take a spear and pierce it through his side and bleed out. That's how much he cares about what sin does to us. He wants to take that sin from us and he wants to give us life. He wants sin to stop wrecking your life. Because that's exactly, remember, that's what sin does. Sin does, promises happiness, but it only produces regret. It only gives us something else. What Jesus says is, I want to give you something. I want to give you life. I want to take your sin because sin is ruining you. Sin is ruining your potential. Sin is ruining where you're going to go. Sin is ruining your relationship with me. And Jesus takes that sin on himself for us. So Jesus will always be the first one to give you a second chance. And so if Jesus looks at you and says, now go leave your life of sin. Go leave this lifestyle of sin. He's not saying, it's not saying, hey, I'll never mess up again. It's not saying, you know what, it's not saying I'm, I'm going to be perfect from this point on. I won't ever say anything bad. I won't ever have another bad behavior. I won't wanna. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is there's a lifestyle that you're living in, a lifestyle of sin that you've created and you've got comfortable in, and you're okay with, 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 with that. And he's saying, you can't live that way. You weren't created to live that way. You were created for more than that. And so when we look at that and hear that and have Jesus tell us that, and he says, now go leave your life of sin. If Jesus is willing to give you a second chance, you've got to be willing to take the first step. Yeah, amen. That's what I was saying. Right? I'm going to ask somebody to come play. But they said it in a much more flowery way than I did. If Jesus is willing to give you a second chance, guys, you've got to be willing to take the first step. If you've received the second chance in here, it's now up to you to say, all right, I'm going to act on this. God's actually, that song we sang earlier, Reckless Love, that says his love is chasing me down. Before you ever thought about coming to Jesus, before you ever thought about Jesus, doing anything for Jesus, loving Jesus. Jesus was loving you. Jesus was thinking about you. Jesus was willing to give his life for you. Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice before you ever thought about doing anything for Jesus. So when you think about this, and if Jesus is willing to give you the second chance, you've got to be willing to take the first step. What is that step? What is that next step? If he calls you out of that sin, if he says, hey, that's not the life for me. I've got something better. He wants you to take that next step. You can't keep living in the old stuff. You can't hope for a new life living in the old stuff. He calls you to something new, something freedom. He calls you to eternal life. But we have to act on that, guys. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want you to go.